This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. Welcome back to the most valuable sports podcast. Brandon Worth here joining you on this lovely Tuesday morning, and we got a full show to cover today. Fair State Sports, NFL, college football, MLB to recap over this crazy weekend, and we will certainly get into that. But first, special thanks to Eagle Village. They're a great place to make an impact on the lives of youth. It's a mission close by. To learn more, go to eaglevillage.org, Eagle Village, where potential source. But getting right into the show, as always, with the Ferris State Sports Report. And what a great, great weekend we had in Ferris State Sports. Starting on the gridiron, Ferris State football with a dominant win over Davenport. 38 to nothing on homecoming. And boy, was it a great feeling in top Taggart Field. Just watching this team being able to get away from the Panthers and in handily fashion like everybody expected, unlike what we saw last week in Saginaw Valley, where might be heavily favored on paper, but that is not how it turned out on the field. This is pretty much what we expected on paper that happened on the field on Saturday. So an absolutely great team win. Got to see a lot of faces in there. Very interesting. Um, some of the some of the personnel that was brought in throughout this game, a lot of different players played. Hearing um, Coach Anise say later in the press conference that there's a lot of guys banged up. A lot of injuries going on and had to play a lot of young guys and a lot of them played very very well um, Malik Mitchell got the start under center for the Bulldogs on Saturday and he did a pretty 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 good job I would say 16 to 24 194 with a one touchdown um, Malik was pretty good I think overall he had a he had a good performance I think there was some things that he could have improved on um, but the offensive scheme was really kind of really um, kind of fluctuated um, based on what Davenport was throwing at us because they certainly threw every man they could in the box and they, they told us straight up across the line of scrimmage, hey, we're going to make you throw this football to beat us. And that's certainly what happened. I mean, we only had a leading rusher with 48 yards, and that was Tyler Miner um, who had seven carries. Jeremy Burrell and Marvin Campbell both had 20 yards on six, at least 20 yards on six carries um, in that game as well. And it just kind of shows you that there was really not a whole lot going on, um, on the, in the run game, and that was okay. Coach Anise said that this team is made to be flexible and made to take what the defense gives us, and that's exactly what we did. We took it to the air. I mean, Malik said 194. Evan Cummins also had, um, a, I think Evan had a very good outing overall. He was eight of 14, the 138 um, for two touchdowns. I think he was a great, great decision to put in later in the game um in the first half and in the and in the second half as well because it seemed like Malik in the in the off the first team offense was doing very well um they were doing running the script well um there were some things that were a little sloppy um but they and they, they just couldn't get quite something quite going and coach Anise goes to Evan Cummins to p- come in and make that play and certainly he did so he, he really came in and made some great plays. I know he had a, a bunch of great throws um, that really just kind of sparked the momentum, especially on that 99-yard drive in the second half that kind of got us going um, through or pretty much just got us going into the rest of that contest. So it was definitely good to see that um, Evan did very well. 
um, coming in from Malik at times. But both guys played, and that was something that was going to be looked at coming into this game, and that was certainly something that Coach has done in the past with with other quarterbacks, whether it's J. Rue under center, Travis Russell under center, Evan under center, even when he was the starter. So not afraid to use two quarterbacks, and today was a great um, example of why you always have two guys ready. But um, I think the big standout of this game was definitely in the receiving core. Tyrese Hunt-Thompson with four catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown, as well as taking an end-around reverse for a 25-yard score on the ground as well. He was fantastic. Cy Barnett was out with an injury, so he was not in. He was not active for this contest, and Tyrese certainly stepped up. He played fantastic. Marcus Taylor had 101 yards receiving, as always, him doing his thing. Um, C.J. Jefferson, four catches, 39 yards as well. Um, Brandon Childress, a 28-yard touchdown catch. That was pretty much perfectly placed by Evan. Um, and then Jeremy Burrell caught a touchdown pass from Malik Mitchell later in the fourth quarter to, for him to get some action. So that was good. And I think the I think our defense was really one of the stories of the game just because the offense obviously scored points, put points on the board, as they should. But the defense... Flat out phenomenal. I mean, we were we really had Davenport just on the ropes. It seemed like offensively, we had him turning every play or every page in their playbook. It really was a, a great dominant performance. Liam Daly had eight tackles to lead the Dogs on the defensive side. Jamil Thomas, Major Deadman, both with six. Um, Major has had one and a half tackles for losses. Um, as well as Caleb Murphy had two tackles for a loss of his five tackles as well. Muhammad Amin recorded a sack and a talk, tackle for loss as well. Um, um, uh, Raven Williamson was one guy that came in. He was one of those guys that wasn't necessarily supposed to be playing in this game on the depth chart-wise, but he got some action due to injury, um, and he finished very well. Two pass breakups in the secondary, so it was a really good performance by him as well. Um, Olerada Aladipo had half of a sack as well. Um, combining with one of those with Caleb Murphy. So, I mean, it was great. It was, saw a lot of good things up front. Their run game was virtually not non-existent, really. I mean, we held them, I believe, only to, um, I believe, the official number um, in the in the box score in rushing for Davenport was 106 yards uh, rushing, um, which, I mean, is, is, is pretty good. I mean, that's, that's three yards a carry. Um, but the big thing was passing. They had 57 yards passing. Our secondary did a fantastic job. And I wouldn't say it was just a secondary as well. I think that the front seven definitely put some pressure on a lot of those on a lot of those passes. And they really got to the quarterback. And I mean, holding a team three of fifteen for twenty percent third down efficiency shows on paper how well this defense played. And it was it was a really good thing to see. But I mean, the number one thing out of this game. He's really just the ability to bounce back. This team had a rough outing last week against Saginaw Valley State, having to squeak that one out in overtime. And just just seeing them come back together really to that dominating fashion that we're normally used to seeing was definitely a big, big-time momentum boost for this team. Because this team's looking, they're looking northward. They're not looking back at anything. They have their eyes set on a national championship um, game appearance in a win. So really, that's where they're looking, and this that last game would have been something that could have definitely derailed, derailed the morale of a team like us, but the fact that we didn't show phased and we came out on top in dominating fashion over a team that we should have beat this way, definitely a good settling feeling, and I think it's going to be something definitely to look forward to see how we keep continue this role. Um, starting next week with a, looks like a road stretch here, three games on the road back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, um, with a buy in there as well. 
Um, so we have North. We're going to Northwood over to Hant Stadium on October second um, to take on the Timberwolves, and then the Bulldogs will have a bye um, on the week of the ninth, and then right after that is the big showdown of the pretty much of the season on October sixteenth. We're going to be heading over to that that one place, GV. You ever heard of it? We don't like those people, um, so we're going to be going to Lubbers to play um, to play the Lakers of Grand Valley State. That'll be the Anchorbone Classic, and boy, that one might determine the season right there. So if you need a, something to do on October 16th on Saturday night, you know exactly where to go. And then we have Michigan Tech as well coming up on the 23rd, and then the final home game, um, I believe the final regular home game of the season um, will be uh, Northern Michigan on the 30th. Oh, no, I apologize. We also have Wayne State, I guess, at home as well. That will be on November 13th. So two more home games. If you're looking for the next home game in town, unfortunate for your luck. It's not going to be for a month. But trust me, hang in there. We'll get through it together because we know our Bulldogs are going to be all right. But moving into soccer now, and what a great matchup this one was on paper. Ferris against Northwood um, over in Midland. I mean, both teams, top of the conference, both under. Um, Northwood undefeated going into this contest. Uh, we were undefeated in the conference play, obviously, with the one game that we disregarded Finley at the beginning of the year. But what an absolute fantastic game, and what a great job by our Bulldogs getting the win 2-1 to one over the Timberwolves. Uh, I mean, it was just a, it seemed like it was going to be a great game on paper, and it really lived up to it. I mean, Bree Rogers scored both, I believe, both of our Bulldog goals um, from the midfield, and We've talked about Bree so much on the show. She's the captain. She's the leader. She's the shot caller. Using Barrett Jones's quote there. I mean, she she did it all. And I mean, she showed that in this game. I mean, she was she was the she was the one that they looked for as far as getting on the score sheet. And she definitely did that. I mean, she was the one that or took the penalty kick. And I mean, she she really paid the price for on the T Wolves for that for that crucial penalty there in that second half. I mean. They did come back with one goal with about seven minutes to go to cut the deficit to one, but our defense was able to hold their own and be able to get the win. And boy, it was a great win indeed. I know we had, I'm, I'm sure it was a pretty physical game. Obviously, not, I was not able to attend this game uh, physically, but what, what I've heard on over the recaps and from some is it definitely was a physical game um, to say the least and I mean if you look on the on the box scores and you can see how many cards were dealt in this game you could probably make that assumption yourself I mean four yellow cards in this game three of them on the for the Bulldogs um, just shows you that this was a very physical contest and sometimes it comes down to that and I mean really the the fact of you have this sport that is necessarily kind of viewed as not necessarily like a a rough, uh, heavy-hitting sport, kind of like um, you could say maybe for like football and hockey, where soccer is a lot kind of seen as more casual, naturally, and sure, that's how the sport kind of goes. But, um, I mean, it's not. It's really a physical sport, and I think a lot of people forget about that. And I know there's a bunch of um, studies being done. Like, well, soccer is one of the most injury-causing sports, and it's kind of crazy to think about it, but it's true for how physical it is, how straining it is on the lower half of your body. And I mean, it just kind of it shows sometimes in these type of games where you have these two teams that are extremely physical. They got a lot to play for. It's really these two teams were the ones that we were watching um, but based on how this season started. We're going to be put up at the top of the power rankings in the conference and looking at these two uh, as, um, conference championship contenders. So 
the big thing there was just being able to see them come on top in a physical game was huge. Uh, I mean, we, we really did a great job overall in getting the job done. We had 13 shots, um, I believe 13 shots on net. I'm not sure if that was total. Um, Northwood had nine as well. Saves Ferris State with two. Um, with Mussolini taking care of business outside of just the one at the end of the game. Northwood forced to have six saves on the day. Um, and yeah, 30 total fouls in this game. <laughs> that's that's up there for sure um, with one of the more physical games that we've seen so far this season. But it, w- it was great to see this team definitely getting back on the horse, getting being able to... Not, I, wouldn't, I mean, the way I said that, I'm not necessarily saying that last, the last couple games were like necessarily like bad games, but... I mean, Wisconsin Parkside and Purdue Northwest. Now, I mean, no offense to them whatsoever. They're, they've got a good, they've got good programs. They're just they weren't necessarily going to be one of those tougher teams that we're looking at at the end of the year when we're going to be playing teams like Grand Valley, Northern Michigan Tech, um, and Northwood, of course. Northwood was the fir- was one of the first true tests that we've had um, since we played Ashland on um, September 10th. So, I mean, that was just good to see us respond to that and being able to take care of business against a tougher ranked opponent. And that was really cool to see. But um, soccer going to be in action next on this cup coming Friday, October 1st um, at 4 o'clock. They'll be at home against Davenport, LOL. Well, it seems like we're playing Davenport back-to-back-to-back and everything. Um, and then Sunday, October 3rd, we will be traveling to that other place called GV um, to take on the Lakers at 1 p.m. And what would what many will say is, pretty much a conference championship clinching game and boy that one's going to sh- certainly be fun to watch so if you're in action or if you're around make sure to check that out and after that game five straight home games so that's going to be pretty sweet very interesting how our schedule played out so we just finished our five game road, st- road stand and we got all one on the one at home one on the road and then five not one not two not three not four five home games in a row so that's going to be really cool to see um, our Bulldogs in action at home in Big Rapids. So make sure you check that out. Going over now into volleyball, a clean sweep for the Dogs over the Davenport Panthers on Sunday. Um, pretty much clean sheet all the way around. Pretty good game. Um, they won't necessarily were slightly close over uh, early on. Then it got a little bit more stretched out as the game moved on. But taking all three sets, 25-19, 25-18, and 25-15, to complete the three games, sweep breakout the brooms. Um, great. I mean, it was by what I heard, it was a pretty electric atmosphere, despite the fact that it was on a Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. So that's that's definitely something. Not maybe not necessarily the the same um, electricity you could say um, with the Grand Valley game that happened on Thursday, but it certainly was um, a good, great to see us get back on track a little bit here with these with these cool couple wins back to back. Because, um, I mean, the, the rough the rough stretch early on was something that kind of, I'm sure, probably got a p- couple people um, as far as um, other other contenders in the conference a little concerned. Like, hey, what's going on with Ferris State and what is going on? But, uh, I mean, just had that rough stretch up in the UP, but we've bounced back very well. Tia's done a, Coach Tia's done a great job and has really brought this team back in together. And like we talked with Nina last week, if you missed that episode, check it out in the feed below, um, where we got to talk to her firsthand about that Grand Valley win and other things going on with the team. And just the fact that they've got that level of camaraderie back, and we could certainly see it in this game, taking care of business easily, was certainly a great sight to see um, for this team moving forward. And Katie O'Connell was the leading points 
um, our was the lead, lead points totaler on the game, 14 um, on the stat sheet. Um, Kira Merkel also recorded 10. And then Olivia Henneman-Dolape had also 10.5, um, leading the charge for the Bulldogs as well, and Samantha Herman at 7. Um, and then, obviously, everybody else contributed. But sometimes it doesn't show on the stat sheet. But everybody, everybody, I'm sh- everybody contributed to that team win. So definitely just a, a fantastic game. And just the idea of going in, taking care of business. So it seems like that might be the, become the title for this episode, just because that's how many times I've said it so far, and that's really what it's been. We've had programs for across all sports this week that, frankly, were there on paper as, yeah, we should beat this team pretty handily. So, And the fact that we did that is just good because we see so many times then and again in the whole world of sports where regardless of how many analysts you can put together and say how much this game should be lopsided, there's always games that aren't lopsided. And that's just a hard thing to go with mentally when you're playing a team that you know you can beat, you know that you are a better team on paper, you know you're more talented, but then when it's close games and you're going, you're trading blows back and forth and it comes a close game, it can demoralize you. And that's what can ultimately lead to upsets, especially when we're talking about some of these college sports where, I mean, MB, I mean, if you go to professional like NBA or NFL, upsets just don't hit the same as they do in college sports. And I think a lot of people can attest to that. But I mean, overall... Just great to see that we took care of business. I'm going to probably say it 20 more times, and that's really the only thing I can think of right now. And yes, I think this will become the episode title. Um, Haley Krieger for Davenport, shout out to her. Um, I know Coach Wilhelm brought it up in the post game that she really was Davenport star player, and rightfully so. Um, I believe she was the only one on the team with um, playing in all three sets that recorded a positive kill percentage which is pretty crazy. I'm sorry, Riley Groves also did have a, 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 high, a higher um, kill percentage, but she had 16 points overall with the next highest being Riley Groves at six. That just kind of shows you how struggled it, or struggling performance it was for the Panthers and it makes us smile because we that's what we like to see as Bulldog fans. But um, it's going to be a great next couple weeks here for the Bulldog volleyball team. Got some... I think some definitely some gettable games here coming up. We got Purdue Northwest um, and Wisconsin Parkside both at home on Friday and Sunday, respectively. And then we all we will be traveling to Saginaw Valley State and Wayne State next week. And then after that, it's it's regional crossovers. It's it's we're gonna get into tournament time here a little bit um, before we come back for the rest of the season, heading into November and postseason play. So gonna be good to see if we can get back on track, get on a little bit of a winning streak here, knock on wood. Um, We got these two games back-to-back against Davenport and GV. Let's keep it rolling, baby. Let's keep the train rolling. That's what we want to see moving forward. But going into men's golf, we haven't talked a lot about men's golf, and that's just because they haven't been in action for a little bit. But um, last weekend, they believe they had um, the Invitational at the Doc Sprague Fall Invite in Finley, Ohio, uh, where they did very well. Um, pretty much followed the script that we've talked about so much with this team improving in the final rounds, and I believe they improved by nine strokes in this one. Um, ended up finishing with a 906 team score overall over the two rounds, and that was good enough, I believe, to finish 16th um, in the in the highly competitive field 
at this um in, at this invitational. Um, I believe we had Nathan Kranick. Yes, Nathan Kranick um, was the leading scorer for the Bulldogs. He ended up shooting two seventy fives and then a seventy six on the final round. Cannon Risner, a name we haven't said much, came in big. He improved on all three rounds, going from seventy seven to seventy six to seventy four. Andrew Proctor, uh, Joshua Jeffords, and Mitchell Geek rounded out the Bulldog card. Um, still haven't seen um, our buddy Thomas Hersey yet on any of these recaps in these tournaments. Hopefully that's all going well for him, uh, and hopefully we get to call his name soon. Maybe we'll have him on the show and see what's we maybe see what's going on. But I'm sure that he's looking forward to this season if he is playing. Of course, is definitely a question that we'd love to know because he was such a he's such a big impactful player. He was one of the guys that brought us really to that conference title game last or that t- conference title match last year to help us win the GLIAC title over um Grand Valley. So um, it'd be great to have him back just to see but just to see the firepower that we have behind him overall is definitely a good thing to see just because I mean, it's always great to have depth no matter what sport. If you have to fill a void, you always want to fill the void with something you can trust. But um the Bulldogs will be in action next on the links going to be coming up on sunday october 10th and 11th they're going to be traveling to the motor cindy invitational down in dearborn um i believe that might be a wayne state hosted tournament so you can check that out there you can follow that on ferrisstatebulldogs.com as we move over to the women's side they took fourth overall in their their home tournament at khaki if you missed it there was a little golf hat happening sorry if you missed it uh, but definitely great to see them following suit with the men, finishing better than they started on the two, uh, I believe the two rounds, yes, two round scores, but definitely good to see. I mean, Grand Valley had to win. Boo-hoo, we don't need to talk about that. We can't talk about the Bulldogs doing better, though. Uh, Elena Eldred was the one that led the charge for the um, for the Bulldogs on the ladies' side. They finished. She finished 11th overall with 155 combined score. Um, Hope Thebo was placed 16th. Danistowski finished, I believe, um, I believe around 17th place. Yeah, 17th place. Um, Lauren Kemp finished 33rd, and Abby Grubel finished 51st to round out the Bulldogs' five card. Um, and I think it was definitely a good thing to see overall with um, Juanita De La Cruz gonna ha- um, being able to compete individually. I believe she finished um, 69 or um, 69th. She improved by seven strokes in her final round. So definitely good to see more Bulldog ladies in action um, coming up in as we really are approaching kind of slightly the heat of the fall season, um, going with into the rest of the um, the October matchups here. There will be an action next at the William Beale Fall Classic. That will be in Finley, Ohio on October, Monday, October 4th and Tuesday, October 5th. And they will have two more tournaments following at Tiffin and Davenport, respectively, those next weekends to round up their season. So really, it's coming fall. Fall golf season's really coming quick, and it's going to be going before we know it. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these teams play out. And just being able to follow them in the fall has just been definitely been cool because I mean we haven't really talked about them that much just because they kind of like the fall season always just seems to sneak by but it's such an important season because I mean the fall season's really where where you get that baseline you know what you need to do going into winter and I mean it's really a good opportunity because I mean it's a great opportunity to get good quality swings in and I mean going into winter I mean obviously you're going to be hitting out of bays and you're still going to be able to get swings in outside but you're not going to be able to do some of the normal things like 
Um, the, I should say the normal situational things. You're not going to be able to putt as much um, on outdoor surfaces. You're not going to be able to chip. Um, being able to hit out of um, different surf out of different surfaces, I think, is one of the biggest things that comes to mind personally. That I'm, I'm going into the winter season that you're always kind of worried about. Will you be able to lose your chipping game? Um, am I going to be able to hit out a sand trap when I grab my clubs in the summer? Is always a big question mark. So it'll be definitely. I mean, it's definitely a good opportunity to see them competing this fall. And I mean, in a competitive environment, nonetheless, is even better because obviously, you know, you want to practice in the same arena you want to play. So you can get that um, you can get that experience moving forward and know exactly what to do with competition rolling around. But um, looking at the Bulldog scoreboard ahead, we got the women's and men's cross country teams going to be in a split squad. Um, half will be going to the Lansing um, Community College Invitational October 1st with the other half going to be heading to Louisville, Kentucky for the Greater Louisville Class. I heard that's a pretty fast race up there. Um, that will be um, this upcoming weekend. Um, and then we have the women's, um, women's volleyball, of course, as I mentioned, Purdue Northwest will be um, in town on October 1st at 7 p.m. Women's soccer will be at home at 4 p.m. on October 1st. A lot of action going up on October 1st. Um, women's tennis will also be in action on October 2nd. I don't. I believe the time is still to be determined, but they will be heading to Eastern Michigan for a tournament up in Ypsil- or down in Ypsilanti. Um, and then, ladies and gentlemen, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, Ferris State Hockey is back this weekend. They will be taking on the Miami, Ohio Red Hawks October 2nd. Puck drops at 6.07 and then following on Sunday at 4.07 p.m. So it's it's about that time. Get your dog pound tickets. Find your hockey sweaters. It's up. It's that time of year. It's coming by real quick. So make sure you can find those tickets out as well. Volleyball also will be playing October third, as mentioned, against Parkside on Sunday, and our soccer will be at Grand Valley on Sunday at one p.m. Looking forward, so you can check those out as well. But going in a little bit into ice hockey here, just for the a little brief bit here before we transition into the professional level. Uh, I think it's definitely worth mentioning that this schedule is going to be a very fun one to watch because, I mean, we got these two games against Miami, Ohio right out of the gate. Then we're going to be coming up with a little bit of tests. Um, We're going to be going to Western Michigan and then coming back on Saturday, a Friday, Saturday flip flop. And then, I mean, we got some tougher opponents. We got St. Thomas, Minnesota, a new addition to our new conference, the CCHA. They're going to we're going to be traveling to Minnesota then on October 22nd. Um, and then we also have a game moving forward with Kinesis, or I believe Kinesius, who we have um, a little bit of a connection there um, with some of their coaching staff. And that's going to be at the end of October. So we got hockey the rest of the way. We got two home games, at least um, three coming up um, over the next two weeks that you can check out for sure. So it's going to be fun. Just it, it just seems like campus has a different vibe when hockey's back. It just makes a huge impact on this, um, on the on the athletic department, and on the fans and on the students because hockey's just uh, such a unique sport. It's definitely one that I think a lot of people, um, I know myself, would definitely fall in this category. I wish there was more um, availability to watch hockey growing up. Like that would have been something I would have loved to do. Um, I was fortunate enough to catch some hockey, some Fair State hockey games from previous to my enrolling at Ferris State. So it was definitely fun to see that both as a student and as a fan beforehand. Um, 
So it's going to be cool. I'm really excited um, just being able to have the Bulldogs back on the ice and really some hungry dogs. I know this team is ready to get back to their old winning ways. Last year was really kind of a punch in the gut, and I know a lot of that was um, when I talked to Coach Daniels last, a lot of it coming from that COVID quarantine season, just a crazy, crazy stuff going on not being able to get in the facilities as much, not being able to get as much summer training as they'd like to, definitely can take a toll. I know, like, personally, like, I could not imagine going into a cross-country season not being able to run. Like, that would be hard. Like, it's hard to be able to get into a hockey season when you can't skate. Like, there's a lot to go with that, and there's a lot of things that you can always improve on when it comes to skating. You can always be more efficient skater, that's for sure. I got a lot of work to do myself, personally. Joe, not so much. Um, but definitely, definitely going to be fun to see our Bulldogs on the ice again. So you can check that out once again, October 2nd, Saturday at 6.07 p.m., followed by Sunday at 4.07 p.m. I'll probably be at the Sunday game. So, you, hey, come say hi. I'll be I'll be somewhere up in the box somewhere. So you can definitely check us out uh, at the MBSP on Twitter and Instagram to hear more about how these games finish out. And if Bulldogs win, Gliak awards you'll see that there we saw katie o'connell got player of the week for the south division of volleyball and brie rogers as well for soccer so definitely cool to see and it was really cool to hear their feedback saying hey thanks and we just appreciate all the hard work that they're doing and them really just doing great job and showing what bulldogs are all about but moving into i said professional but i lied we have college football of course to cover first before we get into nfl and it'll be uh, looking at the college football scoreboard from week four, um, yep, I know some people are waiting for this one. I'm, my, my thoughts on this Michigan game, not pretty. Let me tell you that right now. Let me get that out of the way. This was not a great game overall for us. It really wasn't. 20-13 to 13 against Rutgers. Give me, don't, don't disregard like our poor performance from how, how well Rutgers played. Rutgers played a fantastic second half. Greg Schiano and that defense did a great job adjusting and really forcing us out of comfort in that second half. And you can see that physically with the zeros on the box sheet um, going by quarter by quarter. But I think the biggest thing moving forward that really was my concern going into this Rutgers game that really like is pretty much personified after watching this game is we got to throw the football. I, and it, I, it's hard for me to like, I want us to be able to find something that's groovy like Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, yeah, I'd love to feed them the rock at least 33 times a game like they did. I would love to do that. But the fact is, we can't just beat teams on the ground. And that's what Rutgers proved to us. And I, at least I hope that the Rutgers proved to Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis that they can't, we just can't run through everybody. And I know it's hard to think like that. And I guess it's like, yeah, why fix it? You guys won. Like, just keep it going. No. We got to be able to throw the ball, especially when we got Penn State Ohio, or Ohio State on deck. We have to be able to throw the football against those two teams because if we're one-dimensional, they're going to make us look silly, and that's an understatement. So I think this is definitely a, I think this is definitely a team that, when we look necessarily on paper, can definitely be better. I mean, we don't have the best receiving core. That's understandable. Like, going with Mike Sanders still as your number one, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Eric All, like, those guys are great targets. But they're not necessarily the same guys that we would see on the Ohio State side, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Like, those guys, you know, 
are going to be better. They're better receivers on paper and what they show in the stat sheet. But I think that our Michigan receiving court can be better if we throw them the ball more, but they still don't have that same talent. And I know like that kind of relates over to what we'll talk about with the Detroit Lions as well here in a minute. But this Michigan team definitely has things we can improve on. We are a little sloppy with covering the read option defensively. Um, a couple missed assignments, a lot of missed tackles. So I think that's something we definitely need to work on. Um, I think this team is, this team's on the up and up. I, I mean, this is up, this, this is what I'm hoping. Just like we talked about with Ferris State football, it relates perfectly. You play a team at home that you know you should beat handily on paper, and they scare you. They make it a close game. I know I was a little frightened when Rutgers had the ball left with a chance to tie in the fourth quarter. I was very frightened. I didn't want to go talk to my Sparty friends saying, hey, what did you what did you see that Michigan game? And then I'm going to have to just cry in misery. And that's not what you want as a Michigan fan to say, yeah, we lost to Rutgers this weekend. You might as well just give them your man card now. But the fact of we have this ability now to use this as the, as just, I, I, I'm emphasizing this so much. I can't even get the words out. We need this. This is, this is a game that was great for us as, I mean, it's not great on paper. Here, here's what I'm trying to say. Let me, let me rephrase and simplify what I'm trying to say here. This is a game that stunk that we can use as a momentum booster because this was a game that we should have won on paper. Like I said, we didn't play that great. We kept them very close. I mean, don't get me wrong. Rutgers is a good team, but we should beat this team by 14. I think the I think the the game line was negative 20 um, for us or 20. We should have, which means we should have beat them by 20 points, and we beat them by seven. That that tells you how much we can use this as the juice that we need to provide a spark to be like, hey. Let's go. This is it. We got to use this game. We're not there yet. We got to get better because I think the first three games kind of showed a little bit that we're not as, I think we're, we're good, but we're good at one thing. What happens if they shut down that one thing? That's what we saw against Rutgers because we got away a little bit being able to give the ball to Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins like 16 times each game and being able to get triple digits on the stat sheet. That's not going to happen every game. That's not going to happen against tough teams that I just mentioned earlier that we're going to have later on our schedule. So we're going to have to be able to throw the football. Cade McNamara, is a, he's a great game. He's a, I mean, a lot of people call him a game manager. Um, I mean, you could maybe compare Tom Brady a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to be that great. Just stop your horses right now. I can hear your gasps through the... I can hear your gasps right now through your car or your phone, your headphones. I can literally hear it. I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady. I'm comparing his play style slightly to Tom Brady. Game A little bit more of a game manager. Not going to chuck for 500 yards. He's not Mahomes. He's going to be a guy that's a leader, going to be able to make smart decisions. And all, all we want from him is to say, we want him to be able to give us confidence that he can throw for 250-300. That's all we want. 163 yards is good, but the fact he only threw 16 passes and completed nine of them, not great. We want to see better. That's all we're saying. And if we see that, if we see Cade McNamara doing better, then it's going to be everywhere but downwards. It's going to be good. We're going to be fine. Um, going into some other scores um, throughout the Big Ten, Michigan State a little scared there 
got Nebraska, gave him a little bit of a tough task, even put him into overtime. Um, Michigan State getting the win 23-20 to over Nebraska. Um, definitely a scary game for Sparty fans. Hey, we're right there with you. This is the same thing. It's pretty funny how this all works out, right? Everything just seems to fall, f- flow the same on this show. Kenneth Walker had a good game. Peyton Thorne, not a great game. 14-23, 183, touchdown of the pick, 33 QBR. Ooh, not great. That's fine. Michigan State's in a good spot, right? They're 4-0, moving up in the AP Top 25. This was a bad game for them. I can speak, per- I can speak there because I'm a Michigan fan. I know exactly what you're going through. And I, I watched Spartan football. I've, I've been able to be a part of some of those big games. Uh, I was part of the game a couple years ago where they, they just they just dropped the ball against Northwestern at home. And I know, like Spartan fans, all they want is to see this team prove more than everybody has disgusted them out ever since D'Antoni left. And right now, Mel Tucker's doing a great job. And this game was ugly. I mean, Adrian Martinez kind of scared him a little bit. Him and um, Ramirez Johnson really did a great job of keeping them spread out across the field. And it was like you just saw a lot of good things from Adrian Martinez if you're looking at this from a Nebraska perspective. I mean, he was 24-34, 244. He did have an interception, but still, for Nebraska, for Adrian Martinez, that's a good performance compared to what we saw later on. But Michigan State didn't have a great game. They had a couple big plays. I mean, Jalen Reed taking that punt back was huge. I mean, by the way, absolutely huge. Um, but this is the same scenario. Michigan State can use this as fuel, bring the bring the flame back, and light the fire. Let's get going. I want to see Michigan and Michigan State both get flying up on the radar because I hate when the game, when a rivalry game has no importance whatsoever to a season because that's what we saw last year and that's what we saw two years ago. So the fact is, this game, the, like that game's going to matter. And of course, we want to see our Michigan teams support. I think I just took that from Joe. Joe, I'm sorry. You can have that quote back. Anyway, moving back into the scoreboard, um, Alabama obviously taking care of business. They played Southern Miss 63 to 14. Didn't even start one of their running backs. Why need to? Um, Georgia routing Vanderbilt, Oregon routing or Arizona. West Virginia almost pulled the upset. That was the game that we were going to be watching, and that was almost the game that I almost picked as an upset. And I think I definitely was rooting for it um, off air, but Oklahoma just does not seem like that kind of team. I'm sorry. They don't. They won 16-13 over a Mountaineer team. Mountaineers are good. Top 25? No. College football playoff? Absolutely not. And if you're Oklahoma... Why are you playing a close game against a team that's not in the top 25 when you expect to win a national championship with Spencer Rattler? That's all I'm saying. He has played okay, but not Heisman Trophy candidate. He's getting outplayed by somebody from Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Bryce Young, obviously. But Matt Corral? That should be personal to Spencer Rattler. That should be flat out personal. Malik Willis, even. Spencer Rattler's got to play better. This def- uh, That defense played pretty well. Oklahoma's defense played pretty well. They allowed him 13 points. Got to be able to score. That's what they need to do. Iowa had a little bit of a scare. They had to rally back to beat Colorado State in the second half. A little scary. Uh, I think that game definitely had some weird flow in it, some weird juice. So Colorado State threw a lot of weird things at them. 
And I think that was good for Iowa just because, I mean, just as an analyst perspective, obviously you want Iowa to do worse because we want to see Michigan, Michigan State do better. But, I mean, Iowa still came back, rallied, show how tough of a team they are. You're going to have to beat that front. We're gonna Somebody somebody is going to have to beat that front if you're going to beat Iowa. And Colorado did some things where they really kind of kept them on the ropes for a little bit. I mean, I know Patrick I believe, got, um, I believe he got rushed four times. And I think that's definitely something to be concerned about if you're Iowa. Because, I mean, you got an offensive line that's always been one of the better ones in the country. I mean, we can just say Tristan Warps. You know what I'm talking about? When, of course, we can talk about tight end you. Like, we ha- they have weapons all the time. And the biggest thing is they have structure on that offensive line year after year. So they're going to have to get back into control a little bit. But still good to see them get a ho- or still good for them to get a home win. Obviously, we don't want to say that. No. Michigan's got to do better. Uh, Penn State did well against Villanova, winning 38-17. Sean Clifford, 401 for four TDs. Ooh, that's pretty darn good. Uh, big game, Arkansas beating Texas A&M, 16 over a 7 and upset 20-10. to I mean, that was a great game by Arkansas. And I know this was a game that was definitely um, one of those ones you had on. You, you, was, you probably were checking the score, regardless if you're an A&M fan or Arkansas fan, because that was one of the better games on slate. Uh, but I think this game just really felt out of sorts. Um, I mean, we only, I believe, had, I, I believe, Arkansas, if I remember this correctly, I'll make sure, I'll look it up here to make sure. Here it is. KJ Jefferson, 212 yards passing with two touchdowns, 90 Q- QBR. He had seven completions. Seven. He was seven of 15 for 212 yards and two touchdowns. Big plays is what Arkansas got out of this game. There was no question about it. I believe there was, I, I know they got a, a, quite a few big runs as well. I, yeah, six guys here in the that had over double-digit run. They had 197 yards rushing. A&M has not looked this, I think this was the biggest thing about A&M. They had that absolute scary game against Colorado um, with Zach Calzada coming in, replacing a quarterback. Then they got back on track against New Mexico, but it's New Mexico. Hey, now, it's New Mexico. And then they come back against the Razorbacks, and they really kind of got they really kind of got exposed a little bit. And that just was really one game that um, I thought was going to go a different way. I'm not saying A&M was going to win this game. I thought Arkansas had a better chance to win this game overall than A&M did, just based off of what we had seen from Arkansas. They're legit. But the fact of Texas A&M and Arkansas, that matchup, I know I was telling a buddy about this. Like every year, it's been a shootout, at least over 24 both sides. Like it's been at least three scores each side every single year, game for the last 10 years. Obviously, I must have jinxed it somehow, but that, that is what it is. Analysts are always wrong. That's fine. But I mean, still, Arkansas played a heck of a game on the offensive side. They outgained um, AM 443 to 272. And I think that was something that you, you were like, I don't know, Arkansas. A&M's defense is very good. How's their offense going to keep it rolling? Big plays. And there was a lot of times where A&M was just slightly out of position, <laughs> and it screwed them. Hardcore. So that game was definitely fun to see. Um, one game, speaking of offensive struggles, Clemson getting upset by NC State in Raleigh. What a big time it, time it is to be a Wolfpack fan. 27-21. It's over. Sorry, Clemson. It's over. And I know they already know this. So college football playoff hopes, goodbye. See you later. It's gone. The Tigers are done. 
DJ Ugalele is a great quarterback, but he's got to get protection. He can't run wild all over the place. They got to get a big. I don't. It's hard to just see Clemson struggle so hard because we're accustomed to seeing them play very great, and there's a reason why they've been in national championships. But I mean, NC State flat out beat them. Like they flat out beat them. I mean, it was going. I mean, yeah, I know this game went into overtime, but when it came to overtime, NC State were the ones making plays, not Clemson. They didn't make any plays. I mean, you can just talk about that back corner touchdown catch. Uh, I mean, that was a fantastic catch, by the way, um, in in the second overtime, which I believe was the game-winning touchdown. That was an absolute beautiful pass. Where, why weren't you covering guys going towards the end zone in a game like this? I He was double-covered, but it just wasn't necessarily there. And then that, that one... Th- like, the biggest thing was, I mean, going like, going back to the straight game footage, like going back to that last play in two overtimes, I mean, that ball to Justin Ross, that should have been caught. Justin Ross is a, bit, a better receiver. He could have caught that ball. He knows that. Not, not saying, like, he shouldn't or whatever, but he knows he could have caught that ball. I'm not saying he dropped it on purpose or anything, but I'm just saying those type of things where you have a team that you know on paper can take you far, but just not being able to put it on the field. That's the biggest thing that we've seen with Clemson this year. Because DJ's a good quarterback. You got some good targets with Justin Ross, Will Shipley. But the fact is, their offensive line's been pretty poor. They've made DJ throw quickly or off the pocket so many times that it's really just kind of hurt them. And, I mean, NC State did a great job mixing up coverages. They did a great job pressuring DJ, and that's what got them to the win. And Clemson's just not a power not house team right now, and they know that, and that's why they're going home, and they're not going to be going to the college football playoff this year. Sorry, you can't have two losses. Anyway, moving over, uh, the Buckeyes with the win over Akron, 59-7 without C.J. Stroud, still look the same. Florida beating Tennessee, 38-14. to Notre Dame with a big win over Wisconsin. Okay, not not big in the score sheet. I know it's 41-13, but Wisconsin kind of gave up that second, fourth quarter. Graham Mertz was not himself. He had a really bad game. I believe he had four interceptions, five turnovers. He was he was awful. Um, I'm not saying like he's a bad quarterback. He's better than that. He, we showed that he's better than that. It was just a rough game for Wisconsin, and it scares me Michigan's going to have to play them next because they're going to be hungry. Baylor upsets Iowa State. Iowa State just doesn't look the same as they did last year. As much how many ever yards they put on paper, still got to put it in the put it. You got to put the ball in scoring position, and they had they did not do that against Baylor. BYU beat South Florida. Coastal Carolina beating UMass. Michigan State, of course, winning. Like I said, North Carolina gets beat by Georgia Tech. Sam Howell's playoff hopes are now gone, thanks to the Yellow Jackets. Auburn beating Georgia State with a good bounce back win. Um, a little interesting that they took out Bo Nix in that game. Very interesting. Um, UCLA beating Stanford and Oklahoma State taking down Kansas State in that game to round up the top 25 matchups. Definitely going to be fun moving forward. As I mentioned, Michigan going to be facing Wisconsin next weekend with Michigan State. Kind of well, intriguing matchup, you could say. Um, definitely going to be a fun one to watch next weekend. They're going to be taking on Western Kentucky. That was sarcasm. I'm sorry. It was It was all sarcasm. But they'll be taking on Western Kentucky nonetheless, and it's going to be fun. But moving into the NFL, we go, starting with the Week 3 recap. And also, if you guys don't follow us on Instagram, you might miss out 
on our Instagram story polls asking what you guys want us to talk about on the show. And we actually had one response yesterday that wanted to hear about the Dallas Cowboys. So here you go. We delayed the episode just for you on here this Tuesday morning, just so you we could talk about Monday night football that happened last night. Boy, what a game it was. The Dallas Cowboys routing the Eagles 41-21 to in what would probably everyone would say was a lopsided game. And it really was not great for the Eagles. They played they played very poorly. And I you gotta give the Cowboys defense credit. They took they took advantage of a lot of the Eagles' mistakes. The Eagles played super, super, super readable. I don't know exactly why that they their offense is being so simple that like it's it seemed to be so easy to tell what the Eagles were doing. They were doing first read passes off the, out of the shotgun and line of scrimmage. If you're in the shotgun as a quarterback and you're going off of a one read, you're just asking the DBs to ball hawk you every single time. And that's what we saw on that Trayvon Diggs interception. And, I mean, that one interception early in the first quarter was not that great of a throw from Hertz. I mean, Hertz is a great quarterback. Like, he's a good quarterback. That I don't know why if he's making the decisions on the first reads or if Nick Sirianni is calling first read plays. It looked bad. And the defense for the Cowboys took advantage of that. They did a great job defensively turning over Jalen Hurts with the two interceptions. It really was just a struggle fest for the Eagles. The Cowboys did a great job. Zeke's back. That's one that everybody's been waiting for. We've been wanting to see Zeke break out like a game on a game like this, and he certainly did so on Monday night. 95 yards, two touchdowns. When he's back, this offense is back. When he's able to get 95 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, and Dak's being able to use play action a lot more effectively than he has in the past, this Cowboys team is one of the reasons why they are always going to be favored for the NFC East because of their offense when they can get it together like this. They played fantastic offensively. I mean, Dak was 238, three touchdowns, only in, or only missed five passes. And, I mean, he was very efficient. He was great with delivering the football, looked very sharp. That defense for the Cowboys did just, they did everything that they could. And I think that was what you saw during the game was the Eagles just really shot themselves in the foot in a lot of those situations where they made bad throws. And I mean, I don't know how many times Hertz was hurried out of the pocket and you had to rely on receivers. I mean, just like just that huge Quez Watkins catch, you can just mention right off the gate where Hertz had to evade like five guys at the line of scrimmage with that Cowboys pass rush. And just had to chuck up a ball. And, I mean, the fact that Watkins made that catch was fantastic. But you can't rely on those big catches all the time. And the fact that they only ran the ball, I believe, 12 times makes them even more predictable. I don't know exactly what Nick Sirianni's philosophy is for the Eagles offense moving forward. But if that's what it was last night, it does not look good. Because Hurts is a better quarterback than just first read throws. And all he was just bad. And I know Hertz really took responsibility for the for the loss when they talked to him in the post game post press conferences. But I think this game has more to say about what the Eagles need to get rather than what the the Cow because the Cowboys look good and they needed they needed to be good and the Eagles were allowed them to be good. I think that their defense is definitely making steps in the right directions, um, and their offense is definitely getting the get back with Zeke Elliott when that offense gets those big-time plays, and those huge chunky yardage off the rushing game, this offense is one of the best in the league, and that's what you saw what, saw parts of it last night. When they get flowing, it's really hard to get those. It's really hard to keep them from just rolling down the tracks because it's really, it's really tough to guard 
all these receivers on the perimeter. They did not have Michael Gallup, but Cedric Wilson looks like he can step in and just be that same route running guy with the speed and still has some playmaking with him. So it's going to be interesting to look at the Cowboys moving forward. I think that they got a very favorable schedule coming up. I think they, they can definitely take some games coming up and really put a move on this division that's really been lackluster so far and is really kind of, I guess you could say, flopped so far in the first three games but moving into some of those games right now Washington losing to Buffalo yeah he just got the wrath of Josh Allen there Josh Allen was fantastic I mean I believe he had five total touchdowns four of them in the air he just wrecked that he just wrecked that Washington secondary there's no way to put it around it was just a really tough game for the Washington football team because they were better we we expected them to be an NFC East contender this year we expected them to be good and the fact is They've been very lackluster on the defensive side of the football. They've gave up a lot of yards. Yeah, I know it's the Bills, but I mean, it's really tough for me to say that Washington's a full contender for the playoffs right now, just watching the first couple games. If they find that defense, then they're going to be in good shape because, I mean, they're still finding good things in the offense. Heineke's been playing okay. They need more from Antonio Gibson, but then again, he's he's always had a little bit of a... I mean, he had that big play for that 73-yard touchdown, but... I mean, he didn't really do that well, but the Buffalo front honestly played pretty well. So I think the fact is we just need to see Washington get their defense back and then they'll be in there. But Buffalo, they showed why they're a contender. Um, the New York Jets losing to the um, the Denver Broncos, 26 to nothing. Go figure, nothing really to talk about there. Uh, the Raiders with an overtime win over Miami, 31 to 28. What a fantastic game. The Raiders are just showing that they are offensively looking like a juggernaut right now. I'm not saying that they're the best team in the NFL, but they're showing that they they got a pretty good offense. I mean, Peyton Barber went ballistic on in that game on Sunday. I think he I believe if he had 111 yards if I remember correctly. Yeah, 111 yards, which we've seen that from Peyton Barber before. Don't get your hopes up because then again, if you're going to be starting a running back, you're going to be starting Jacobs or Drake over Peyton Barber, but I mean, hey, maybe he's changed to turn a corner since he did um, with the Buccaneers in that early first year, and then he kind of went stagnant from there. But then again, this team looks good, and the Raiders really have been offensively fantastic. I mean, Derek Carr, 386, two touchdowns and interception. They're just showing that they got enough weapons, and it's kind of that was the big question going into the season. Do they have enough weapons? They're showing that they really do. Brian Edwards has been pro- has shown to be uh, on a very, I guess you could say, underrated guy. Um, I mean, then you got Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Kenyon Drake's a good piece in the passing game. You're seeing a little bit more Foster Moreau when Darren Waller's covered in two tight end sets. So it's going to be a really interesting moving forward to see if they can keep this roll up or if it eventually just fades out. But on the Sunday night game, Green Bay 30 to 28 over the 49ers gave Aaron Rodgers too much time. But I think that was a good game to see that the, the Packers aren't fraudulent like we thought they were and I hate to say that as a Lions fan but I think it's just shows you how much that Aaron Rodgers really does impact the game because during this game you were like man the Niners they're controlling line of scrimmage parts of these games but then Rodgers just he's able to take games over and he's done that for throughout his entirety of his career and we just saw another episode of that last night Aaron Jones has still been phenomenal until that changes I, I don't know what the Packers need to really like change moving forward if they want to be contenders because I think they're in a good spot. And, I mean, their secondary just gave up a couple big plays on the stretch, and it's really a loss in the game. I mean, they were playing pretty well. They were holding the Packers for a little bit there, but then again, so that's all it takes sometimes. The Rams pulling off the win over the Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. 
Matthew Stafford beating Tom Brady for the first time, I believe, in his career with a 34-24 win. Sean McVay was, I think, probably the most excited player on the field, <laughs> I guess you could say. No, he. I mean, just seeing the coach running around was, was just a, a really cool sight to see because you want that excitement. That's what you get in the NFL for is to do to play and win games like that. And I'm sure he was happy about that for sure. Um, I mean, Stafford, 343, four touchdowns outdoing Brady's 432 and one touchdown. And really, the Bucks could not run the football. That was kind of expected. But, I mean, they could not run the football. You that, That's what's been setting them apart is them being able to chunk and gain off the rush and then being able to step back to pass. When you're being forced to pass, Tom Brady can do it. But against a Rams secondary, it's not as effective. And that's what we saw is there was a lot more check down throws. There was a lot more, yeah, we can air it out and try it. But there's better options downfield. So I think it's, or, I'm sorry, there's better options um, closer to line of scrimmage, which I think was one of the reasons why you could see how this game turned the way it did. Um, I mean, Sony Michelle was great. It's 20 for 20 carries, 67 yards. Uh, Deshaun Jackson had that huge touchdown catch. Cooper Cup has been absolutely on a tear. One of my best decisions picking him in my dynasty league ever. I feel amazing about that. But anyway, the great win for the Rams. Buccaneers, don't, don't fall off the bandwagon there. They're still a great team. Seattle losing to Minnesota. Thanks to a great outing from Alexander Madison with with triple digit yards, he was great. And that that Vikings team just shows that it's next man up in the running back department. Uh, Arizona, a little scary against Jacksonville, but they got back in the second half to win that one, thirty one to nineteen. Trevor Lawrence still showing his struggles, and Urban Meyer really just hasn't been looking like the coach that they've been wanting in Jacksonville now for a while. New Orleans, uh, 28 to 13 in the win. Of course, that's not what you remember about that game. What you more remember is the memes from the Jameis Winston pregame hype circle. And I don't know what exactly that. I mean, Jameis is just funny, man. I, I mean, he didn't have to do very much in this game either. His defense really just did a phenomenal job helping him out. Um, Alvin Kamara certainly helped in that department as well with his 89 yards rushing, but. Forcing three turnovers on Mac Jones, throwing, making the Patriots throw 51 times. That's not their charismatic scheme, and that's not their norm. That's not what their characteristic known for, and just putting them out of their comfort zone. But the Saints just show us that you don't need yards to win games. I guess they're two and one, and they've won both games with very minimal yardage. And it's going to be interesting to see if that keeps going forward. But I mean, until you find a, cre- a crease in this defense. It's not looking good for anybody playing the Saints moving forward just because that defense is proving to be very good, and special teams as well. Um, Cleveland put a hurt on the Bears, an absolute hurt. I am sorry, Bears fans. I really am sorry. I am very, very sorry you had to witness that. You watched your highly praised, well-anticipated debut for your quarterback you've been waiting for how many years get dismantled mangled by the front seven of the Browns. It was awful to watch. I can't even tell you how it cringy it made me feel to watch Justin Fields just getting clobbered by Miles Garrett and that company. I It was terrible. I It was so bad. And I don't know exactly what the Bears need to do outside of fix their offensive line. That's the only thing that you can do to fix it is to get out and get an offensive line. Until that happens, I don't know where they're going. If you are planning on winning football games with 68 yards passing and 34 yards rushing, 
and giving up nine sacks. <laughs> Good luck. Looks awful. But the Browns did a. The Browns really just put the game plan to work. They shut down the run. They put pressure on the rookie quarterback, make him throw it. And frankly, they didn't even have to make him throw it. They just had to sack him. So that's all they needed to do there. But Mayfield was great. 246, a touchdown. The running game shows why it's the best one-two punch in the NFL. Chubb, Hunt, both 84 and 81 yards rushing. Kareem Hunt also had 74 yards receiving. Um, Does that mean go with Kareem Hunt moving forward? I'm not sold yet. I think Chubb's still the guy. But if you can get both of them, sure. Double thumbs up for me. Uh, Cincinnati beating Pittsburgh 24 to 10 Steelers offense looks awful until that changes. I don't see it changing. They might win six games. I'm serious. I am rooting for the Pittsburgh Steelers one, because it's been a a family team that that has been mine. My grandfather was a big Pittsburgh fan, grew up in Pennsylvania. So I, obviously I have some, I have some sympathy for what the Steelers are going through. Not only with the Stephen A rants, but you can, you can get where my drift is here. 24 to 10, you put 10 points on the board. Even though you threw the ball 58 times and ran it 14 times. You had 72 plays just in the stat sheet. 72 plays. And you scored 10 points. 10 points. What in the world are you doing? They allowed four sacks on Ben. Ben threw two interceptions. They only averaged four yards a play. It's bad. It's bad. I don't know what to say. Their offensive line is still a piece of work, and they're really having to rely on Najee Harris to do everything, which you don't want to do in a rookie. Until that changes, I don't know what to say about the Steelers moving forward. I'm as scared as Stephen A is. Maybe a little less, because Stephen A is like all in on the Steelers. So, But, I mean, it's hard. It really is. If you're rooting for Joe Burrow, though, you were very happy with this game. Because he, 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 did, he did play pretty well. Um, going into... The Chiefs and Chargers, boy, that was just a crazy ending of a game. Not only once the whistle blew, but after the whistle blew as well. Uh, I mean, the Chargers getting the win 30-24. Huge fourth-quarter comeback. They turned um, Patrick Mahomes over twice. One one of them was not his fault. He literally threw the ball straight into Marcus Kemp's into his chest, and it bounced right off. That was the no-look pass, if you were remembering off your your Instagram highlights or social media or whatever where he threw that no-look pass right into Kemp's chest, bounced off for an interception. So that one really wasn't his fault, but you got to make plays like that. You got to be... I mean, he was wide open. He was, there was no one around him, and it was a heck of an interception by Asante Samuel. Absolutely fantastic. That kid's awesome to watch. But still, the Chargers did great. Justin Herbert is proving, proving excuse me, why he is the dynasty quarterback moving forward for the Chargers just from his performance alone, 281, four touchdowns, and using the passing game with your running backs, showing again why the Chargers have such a deadly scheme with Austin Eckler. And it's the Chiefs are a little bit on a downskid, and the fact that Andy Andy um, Reid had to go to the hospital, um, I know he's out, and he's or I believe he was released from the hospital and might be returning to facilities um, today. Great feeling for and for football fans, not just Chiefs fans, for football fans, because Andy Reid is such a lovable guy and a great coach and a great man, and we're glad to see that he's healthy. But are there def? I mean, have you, the Chiefs really have nowhere but going up from here? I mean, it, they really have nowhere to go but up. So that's a good thing that if you're the Chiefs fan, if you're an AFC West fan, you might be a little scared because a vengeance-filled Chiefs team might be a scary team to look at. The Falcons picked up their first win of the season, 17-14 over the Giants. 
big win for Matt Ryan and company and Arthur Smith, his first win as the head coach. Fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic, and I really do think that the Falcons are still not a great team. <laughs> you thought I was going somewhere else with that. I, they're not that great of a team. I'm sorry. Uh, I know one of my buddies is a big Falcons fan, and I I, I mean, I, I hope that they succeed on his behalf, but it's really hard to watch that team and be like, yeah, they're going to be a playoff-bound team. Eh, it looks very scary. Uh, I think the Giants played flat. They played down to the Falcons' level, and that's really what bit them in the butt at the end of the game. Uh, I mean, it was not a great great way for Eli Manning to get his jersey retired, losing to a, a Falcons team that has been pretty poor offensively so far. Uh, the Tennessee Titans won 25-16, proving the Colts are maybe a little more fraudulent than we thought. Their defense has looked okay. Not great. That's the biggest thing. They have not looked great, and we expected great, especially the fact that we're they're relying on Carson Wentz, who has now won his last seven starts as a starting quarterback since 2020. Ouch. Guy that you're going to bring to the promised land? Going to need some work. Tennessee, however, is looking very well. They're back on track. Derrick Henry doing Derrick Henry-like things. Tannehill turned the ball over a little bit, but not terrible. Um, but I think this team's still going to be good looking forward. They could be a dark horse for the playoffs. You never know. Uh, going into the Thursday or Thursday night game, just for a brief minute, Houston losing to Carolina. Sam Darnold's been looking good, guys. I don't say that very often. He's been looking pretty good. Um, I mean, this was the biggest game I think for Panthers fans to say, yeah, Darnold's good. Like we were questioning questioning it going in, but now I think you could say, yeah, he's good. And he was really the garbage can holding the garbage in the Jets. He himself was not garbage, but he was holding the garbage. So, um, sorry, Joe, I had to steal your quote there from your buddy, but uh, we'll hear his lovely voice on Thursday. Um, I think we're gonna see a great, a great morale booster for the Panthers are they going to finish undefeated absolutely not you can take that to the bank right now but it's good to get a little bit of momentum and I think that they're they're pretty happy with the 3-0 start I mean they've had a little bit of a favorable schedule but their defense has been playing fantastic they've been on fire defensively and I mean they they've really been a team that you might have to be a little worried about their front I mean they have 14 sacks so far this year and I mean, that's, I believe that's leading the NFL right now. That's scary. Well, no, it's probably now second to the Browns, but you, they're still one of the top defensive fronts right now. They've held opponents to single digits two out of their last three games. That's pretty good company. I would say so myself. So maybe be on the watch out for the Panthers. I'm not going to get too far into that, but of course the last game it's time. I've evaded it long enough. Time to let loose. We got gypped. Simple as that. Am I going to solely blame a bad call on the loss? No. I think there were some things that we did poorly in that game. I'm talking about the Lions, of course. If you're new to the show, I apologize. If I left you out there for a little bit. The Lions are not a great team. Not a horrible team. We're just not putting the X's and O's together. I really like the first drive, so we'll, we'll get to the, the, the controversy here in a minute. The offense was okay. There's no star-studded firepower, and I'm not talking about rostered players. I'm talking about plays. The first drive was good. The first and second drives were good. We had great. We had creative play calls. We were getting Swift and Williams in space. We were making good, clean, efficient throws. 
And since then, then we just started getting stagnant. And I really don't know like what needs to change as far as just doing those sort of things, faking the ends arounds, getting motion guys. Let's make let's make good coverage decisions. I'm sorry, let's make good audible decisions based on the coverage, which first we have to figure out what the coverage is. We gotta send guys in motion every couple every once in a while. So the fact of the matter is we just need a little bit of spark offensively. I don't know what that spark is, but we need it. Now, the defense has played good. We held the we held the Ravens to 19 points. They should have scored more times. They should have scored more times. They should have scored way more times. We stopped them in the red zone and in good field position, forced them to four field goals from Justin Tucker. Of course, one of them being the one. Here's the thing. I know there was a lot of people that were very frustrated about that lack of a call, and I am too. I don't know what to say. I really don't. It is so tough with the... Because this is how it goes. It's Detroit versus everybody. It's been that way. It always ha- will be that way. And until like, we see noticeable change, it's not going to change. Which I'm telling you right now, it's not going to change. Just because that's just the way it is. And I am really, really inspired by the fight that this team has because I mean frankly like we could have easily gave up this game for what some of the calls were and obviously the ending we fought back we ended up leading this game and frankly going strictly off of that call many would say we should have won that game and it's a fair assessment they missed a false start I'm sorry they missed a delay of game they straight up missed a delay of game they also missed a false start earlier on that on, on that drive in the drive before the fact is, if that would have been enforced, it would have been five yards. It would have been 71 yards. And I don't know if Justin Tucker can make a 71-yard field goal. And the fact that he barely put all of his, or I'm sorry, he put all of his energy to barely squeak over the crossbar from 66 shows that he probably wouldn't have made it from 71 yards. So the fact is, we would have won that game if that was called. What I'm saying here is I'm calling on the NFL. Of course, little old me is going to make a change, right? Why is there no way? Because we got the explanation from Gene Steratore on how that delay of game gets called. The system's fraudulent. It's not effective. It is is the back judge watching the play clock, and once it hits zero... He has to snap his eyes to the football to see if it's still on the ground in order to call a delay of game. You're telling me, with all the technology we have in this game, that we can't have some sort of identifier and some sort of systematic device that can alert the officials when the play clock hits zero. When we have... Players and officials mic'd up. We got sensors on the field. We got all this analytical stuff, but we just can't get a synchronized buzzer to an official for when the play clock hits zero? That, to me, I don't know what to say because, I mean, that could have made it, probably prevented that game. And it's it's really hard. It's really hard for me just to... I'm going to still be a Lions fan one pride forever, but 
I hope this game inspires a slight change in that department because there this hasn't been the first time it's happened. And I know that the I I know that what you see on the the scoreboard on the bottom of your television on the bottom line that one is not fully as accurate as the one on the field because it's slightly delayed obviously because obviously getting things from a television to a, or from a, from a live arena to a television screen takes a little bit of delay. I get that. But this was clearly clearly way too late cuz there's 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 a variance in buffer. This was way longer than the variance in buffer. But this is the thing. Our team can play better than we did and we and we could have played better to the point where we wouldn't have had to worry about one call. But we've played so competitive in all these games that that's what it's came down to. Am I saying lose by 30 points? No. Am I saying win by 40 points? Absolutely. We'd want that to happen. This team's not there yet, though. And until that happens, I don't know what to say moving forward. So as a Lions fan, we're, we're in a tough spot. We've played competitive in all three games. But the fact is... This scene just does not have enough firepower yet. And until that changes, I don't know what's going to happen. But wrapping up the show here with a little quick MLB segment. We haven't talked about it a lot just because the fact is we've had so much football to cover. But, I mean, this is an exciting time for baseball. We're going down the stretch. We got the playoff pictures being created. The postseason is upon us. And I think it's going to be really fun because we got some great matchups down the stretch. I know the, Yan- uh, the Yankees-Blue Jays is going to be the one that we're going to be watching for sure, as they're going to have a series here down the stretch where both teams are looking at wild card bids potentially. Um, I mean, this wild card is looking really fun. Tampa, Houston, and the White Sox. Um, Houston is the only one that has, I believe, not clinched yet, um, and I think they're pretty much on their way. Um, just they, the only reason they have not is because Seattle's been on a pretty hot run at, at the moment. They've won eight of their last 10, and they've they've really been a team that has shown how great that they've just been on an absolute roll. The, they've been great on the road. They've been great against teams that are above 500, and they've just found the, they've found the heat coming in here to October. They really have, and they've done a great job of that. And their pitching staff has done a great job. And, and, and they're a team that you can possibly see sneaking in. But right now, that's the only reason Houston is not stamped into the playoff picture. The Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays are all fighting for spots in that final um, or for um, that wild card spot. Right now, the Yankees and the Red Sox hold them both with the Blue Jays one game out, and then they also have the Mariners one and a half games out. Oakland is three and a half games out, and that's really it when it comes to the playoff race. Then we're talking Cleveland and Detroit, who are both officially, I believe, out of it. But, I mean, this is going to be fun. Tampa Bay could have a chance to sweep the Yankees and take those games right back. They're only a couple games out, two games out of the Yankees. So this is a this is going to be a big series coming up. We're going to have to see what stars step up. The Yankees got to be consistent. If they're not consistent in this series and they fall and they do they get one of their falls that we've seen in this regular season so far, they're going to be in trouble because Vlad and those guys are going to be ready. They're going to be ready to pounce. Springer, those guys are going to be ready. Those guys are used to playing hot in October and late September, I guess you could say too. So it's going to be really fun there looking at the other side. Um, currently, we got the Milwaukee Brewers, the San Fran um, Giants right now, both clinched. Um, the Dodgers have also clinched, but they're still fighting for 
Um, the NL West with the Giants, only two games back here in the final stretch. Um, right now, the NL East is still a little up in the air, basically between Philadelphia and the Braves. And basically how the standings line up, there is really no way that we can see... Um, there's really no way we can see um, Cincinnati or Philly unless they win out and the Cardinals fall off a cliff, which they've won 16 straight games. Doesn't seem likely. So this might be the end of the road for them. Uh, the Cardinals and Dodgers, likely the two wildcard teams. So basically Cincinnati, I'm sorry, Philadelphia is going to have to figure out a way to beat Atlanta or their season will be over. So that's going to be exciting to watch down the stretch and guess who they play. Um, coming up this series, Atlanta will be playing the Phillies. So that one's going to be super fun. Um, I mean, looking at how Detroit stand out, we've done great. Good year. I think this has been a good year. We've seen a lot of great things. I would love to see us win like six consecutive games and finish 500. Yeah, is that likely against the Twins? I think we could get some against the Twins. I think the Twins are definitely a gettable team. But still been a good year. I think A.J. Hinge has shown what he can do with the talent he has. Now, if we can go out and spend money, get a little bit more, we could be in that we could be in that spot where we could potentially be the Yankees. If you're telling me that the Yankees are a team that is destined for playoffs year after year, I would say no. No. They're inconsistent. They got all the firepower and the money. Sure. Are they consistent? No. Not consistent. Until like that's what thing makes me consider other teams as viable contenders. Boston, Toronto, who are good teams on paper and are more consistent. And that's the thing with uh, like with some of these other teams. The fact is, you can have that consistency, and then when you can get that money to get those players, now look what you're talking about. You're talking about a good team with consistency. That could beat a team without consistency in the Yankees, who will be probably making the playoffs this year. That's my two cents. But it's going to be a good year. We got a lot of great anticipation for next year. Likely Torque and Riley Green's debut, maybe, coming up next year. Um, and then, obviously, the young guys to see how they do in year two is going to be fun. So, But that's going to be it for this show today. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you guys going with us um, today. Or I should say with me solo today. We've had a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, with some with some things that we just really we had to take some safety precautions due to some things with COVID and um, that is the reason that we are doing this show today or I guess I'm doing this show um, solo today and Joe is everything's fine with Joe um, the problem was more related to me than Joe and I'm not and it was not necessarily uh, I, I I did not test positive that it's not that is not the reason um, there was just some things that happened where. There was some contact tracing stuff going on, and we and we knew it was a good idea to stay away and make sure that everybody with us was safe and to make sure that everybody around us was safe as well. So that is the reason. But I promise you we will be back to a fully scheduled next or a full regular scheduled program next week, and you will hear a lot from us. And make sure you stick or stay tuned for Thursday. We got a great interview coming up that you're not gonna want to miss out on. And thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, see you later. Thank you.